Luke chapter 15, verse 1. So we're still camping out in this uh, section of Scripture. Two weeks ago, we started off with the parable of the prodigal son. And then last week, we looked at the parable of the older brother. And uh, this week, we're going to be looking at the first parable. I'm jumping around a bit that Jesus uh, tells us, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And you'll see that there's a connection, a flow that happens through all of these sections. And uh, it is a remarkable section um, of Jesus explaining his ministry. And uh, remember that uh, this was all in response to criticism Jesus is receiving about the effects that his ministry is having um, on his listeners. So let's read together from Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner, who repents. So this morning, just to remind as what the criticism was, is that Jesus was attracting tax collectors and sinners to his ministry. And not only was he attracting them to his ministry, he was actually going for them. He wanted friendship with these guys. He was willing to receive dinner invites or perhaps invite himself to supper. He was uh, deliberately seeking out relationship with these tax collectors and sinners. And for those of you who are here with us for the first time, whilst we discuss this section of Scripture, a tax collector was the, the most hated Jewish individual in Jesus' day. A sinner wasn't enough for them. They got their own title, sinners and tax collectors, right? And they were the embodiment of everything that the Jews hated about Roman oppression. They were your SARS guys who sat there at the table and didn't just take enough for Rome, but a bit more for themselves. They were corrupt, they were oppressive, and they were hated. A sinner in Jesus' time might be a little bit different to what might be in your mind today. A sinner was somebody who was not welcomed in the synagogue. In other words, the Jewish church, they, because of some sort of moral failure or their lifestyle or perhaps their occupation that was against the Mosaic law, maybe you were a pig farmer, Oh, scandal there. Then you were not allowed in the synagogue at all. A sinner was somebody who was, because of their lifestyle and occupation, rejected. And uh, this rejection was not just perhaps uh, polite. It was actually quite distinct. If you were a sinner and tax collector, you were not allowed in the synagogue. In other words, you would not be welcome here. 
if it was modern-day church. And furthermore, if you met a sinner or tax collector in the marketplace, you did not talk to them. You had no relationship with them. They were to be shunned or rejected. The crazy thing is, and I want to draw your attention to it this morning, that these sinners and tax collectors were attracted to Jesus' ministry despite what Jesus preached. I want you to look to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33 with me. I won't read everything, but I want to point you to some scriptures that Jesus is talking about right before we get to this section of the text. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, this is what he's preaching. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, every other relationship comes second to me. He's not finished yet. Look at verse 27 of chapter 14 with me. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, as Jesus is saying, guys, this lifestyle of following me, it's not going to be easy. In fact, I'm guaranteeing suffering. And the kind of suffering that the world looks upon and goes, that is terrible. The cross to the world was the most despised symbol of shame. The third thing that he says here, if you read with me together in uh, verse 33 of chapter 14, it says, so therefore, he sums it up, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to make me first in your life, Above all the other relationships, no other relationship takes precedence to me. Secondly, your lifestyle is not guaranteed to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And thirdly, he says, everything you own becomes mine. (laughs) And then in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, now the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling that tax collectors and sinners were being drawn to Jesus. That's amazing. And I want to say to you this morning, The world is not afraid of a church or a pulpit that speaks straight. The world's not afraid of the truth. What they are interested in is whether that truth is authentic in those who believe it. And the world today is looking for a church, SPC. Sterling, this is a call to you today. They are looking for you, at you, and saying, do you believe what you proclaim? Does your message match up with your manner of life? Because that's what sets the world on fire. When they saw Jesus, they saw a man that lived and believed everything he preached. And it was the direct opposite to the Pharisees. These guys had claimed so much and and exalted themselves before Israel. All of their fasting, all of their praying, all of their tithing, all of their ceremonies that they kept so carefully. Man, when they lifted up this kind of religion to the world, all all that the world saw was gaps. Hypocrisy. But when they saw Jesus, they saw a man who was not only gripped in his message, but lived it out. And I want to say this morning, church, we are not ashamed of the gospel. And we are not ashamed of proclaiming it. But this proclamation has a radical demand upon those who preach it, you and me. And the effect was this grittiness, this realness about Jesus, it was attractive. It was attractive. And he deliberately... He deliberately 
sought these tax collectors and sinners out. And his approach was offensive to the scribes and Pharisees because it was the exact opposite to what they thought was necessary, how to deal with sinners. You see, Pharisee is somebody who is a strict keeper of the Mosaic law, and a scribe is someone who taught it. They were experts in the Mosaic law. And they fundamentally differed with Jesus on how God receives a person. This is the crux of Luke chapter 15. Is Pharisees believed you were received by God based on how well you did in your life. And the criteria was the law of Moses. And so they believed, unless you changed your behavior, God wasn't interested in you. And so therefore, because God wasn't interested in you, they could reject you because he rejected you, because your performance was so poor. And the whole concept of this story, of the parable, if you had to ask the Pharisee, where was God's eyes in this story, the 99 or the 1, the Pharisees would say the 99. They're the ones who needed no repentance. They're the ones that had their life together. They're the ones who gained God's attention through their performance, picking up from last week. But actual fact, Jesus said no. He's eyes on the one that's lost. The one whose performance the world shuns. And Jesus moves towards these kinds of people because he's reflecting the heart of God of how he moves towards you and me. Not based on our performance, not based on how well we're doing, but by sheer grace. Which means that God sees us and loves us despite our performance. And so, I want to say this morning, Jesus is concerned that these tax collectors and sinners are listening to this criticism of the Pharisees, the very people he's trying to get to, are listening to this attack upon Jesus about their presence. And he's saying, no, no, guys, you stay right here. This is where you belong. Because this is the reason why I came. It's for you. And so let's look at this morning, this parable. It shows first and foremost, church, how immensely valuable one lost sinner is to God. Can you get this in the story? Every reason would say God would only be concerned about his church, the 99 that are getting it right. They are far more value, 99 times more valuable than the one lost sheep. And surely looking after 99, it's a lot of work. I want to tell you as an eldership, we know looking after church, our four congregations, it's a lot of work. But Jesus says, no. In God's eyes, the one is precious. Precious. And he's talking to a bunch of farmers here. And he says, guys, you know what it's like. When one of your sheep goes missing, what do you do? Do you go hang out with the 99 and say, well, good luck. I hope he comes home. No, no. What he's doing is he, until he finds that sheep, he is searching. Because that one sheep to the farmer is as precious as the 99. And it's my prayer this morning that we would grip this heart of God as a church. You see, the risk is, the risk is this. We are so introverted, so self-centered in the way that we can look at church. That there's enough work to be done here. There's enough people to minister to. There's enough people to change. But God's call upon us, SBC, is to say, how precious to use the one. Because that's where my eyes are. And so this morning, I want to help us understand what it means to be lost. You see, the Bible talks about this term so much, 
this thing of being lost. And it's very difficult for you as modern 21st day Christians, well, not even Christians, as human beings, to actually relate to this. And I've been thinking this last week, how do you explain this concept that Scripture says that we are a lost human race? Well, Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this, All we, that's every single human being, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So in other words, when God sees humanity, individuals, you and me, human beings, he sees sheep. And this parable is so helpful for us in understanding what does it mean to be a lost sheep. Well, my first thought when I was thinking about this is, it's not very flattering to be called a sheep, right? They're not exactly your best-looking creatures, not so? They're not exactly your most intelligent, not so? In actual fact, they're not very capable at all. And it reminded me of a little boy. Um, I had flashbacks. It was quite a traumatic moment for me in Sunday school when the, this young little boy would jump up in front of you and go, Wah! I'm a lion! And he would roar, and he would do this over 50,000 times during the whole morning. He would climb up on chairs and jumping around and saying, Wah! I'm a lion! And just an extra bit of information, I remember his mother used to have this uh, Tupperware of Mari biscuits that tasted like green Play-Doh. It was disgusting. To this day, that little boy, Amaline, reminds me of Play-Doh um, and Mari's, which was a very traumatic experience for me. But it made me think about this. When children choose animals, one saying, ha, I'm a lion. Other one saying, ha, I'm a tiger. Nobody says, ha, I'm a sheep. <laughs> No kid says in the game, I want to be the sheep. Another one says, I want to be the sheep. No, you be the sheep. Nobody wants to be a sheep. I mean, have you ever seen a sheep in operation? It is the most ridiculous thing. My dad was telling me a story about how they were traveling on their motorbike on a gravel road. And as they were driving, there was this flock of sheep. And when the sheep saw him, my dad was at the bike, and they were just running. Every time my dad would go forward, they didn't think to actually turn left or right. They just kept going forward. That is the nature of a sheep. And when you look at a sheep, they're terrified about everything, right? It's just this thing of... That's what sheep are like. They've got this look to them that's quite disturbing. But I want to say this. Do you know what it feels like to be lost? It's to feel like you're at the mercy of the world around you. These sheep, they are just not capable of protecting themselves from these wolves. I mean, they get stuck in a thorn bush with their woolly fleas. They, just, ah! they fall into a ravine. This is how sheep are. And I want to say the first thing about feeling lost is fear is you just can't control what you're faced with. The second kind of th experience of being lost, we see, is that sheep are followers by nature. They require leadership. And I want to say every single human being is born with this need to be led. And it, it comes out in us in, in different ways. We search for meaning in everything. We, we look at philosophy. We look at psychology. We look at diet and health and nutrition and leadership. We look for some guiding star as humanity to lead us because we, we are built into us. There is a sense in us that when we are born, we are looking for answers. None of us are born with a sense of having all the answers. We're looking to be led. We're looking for meaning. 
The other experience of being lost is sheep always believe that the grass is greener on the other side, not so? And they're driven by their appetites. And I say human beings are no different. We're driven by our appetite. Man, after sex, after money, after power, popularity, pleasure, possessions, relationships, man, there are these appetites to us that just never, ever seem to get satisfied. And the more we give ourselves to them, the emptier we feel. My friend, if you feel spent inside, you feel empty. That's what it feels like to be lost. And sheep function in herds. This is how humanity works. We all got a little flock, right? <laughs> I was speaking to somebody at work this Thursday who's a horse fanatic. These horsey people, they're always in their little herd, their little flock. You get the jock guys, you like buff and they talk about, you know, hang on a tribal. You get your surfer guys, you get your yuppie herd with their careers, their gaming herd, the drama herd, the music herd, the nerdy herd, the crafts herd, the partying herd. They all love to go in little flocks. But yet, despite our needs to be connected, isn't it amazing that you can stand in the midst of a shopping center, a church, a school, a party, and feel desperately alone, disconnected? Friends, that's what it feels like to be lost. And lastly, when, you, when you're lost, like a lost sheep, you just don't know where the destination is. And I've said it before, but as a young pastor, my most sobering moments have been deathbed experiences. Yeah, you've got men, they've built their reputation, their lives, their finances, they've built such security around them, but in the moment of testing, when it comes to the question, what's on the other side, they're terrified. They have got no security or certainty about where they're going. Friends, that's what it means like to be lost. And the important thing for us to see this morning is that there is something seriously wrong with a lost sheep. They are hurting animals by instinct. And so when you see a sheep run off on its own, it is a sign that they either are sick or something is wrong. Because you see, ultimately, this is what I want to argue this morning, is that sheep are meant to have a shepherd. They're not meant to wander on their own, and it leads to great damage in their lives. And to illustrate this, I want to point you to a picture on the screen uh, this morning. And uh, it is called, that's, that's, that's Shrek. His name's Shrek the sheep. I'll give you one guess as to where he actually comes from. The greatest sheep farming community in the world is New Zealand. That's right. And Shrek hated being shorn. And so what he did was he escaped from the shepherds and uh, he, for six years, hid in, hid in caves and ravines. And that is what he looks like. Guess how much that coat weighs. Guess how much. 27 kgs. The average is 4,5. That's him being shorn. Next one. That's him with his fleece off. And just a reminder, one more. That's what he looked like. That's what happens to us when we live without a shepherd. You see, in Isaiah 53 verse 6, we go back to that scripture. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Not sing, there's not a single exception. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's the problem. To his own way. The problem comes down to this is God in heaven says, I am your shepherd. And as human beings, we don't like authority. We want to have our own authority. And I mean, it comes to in marriage all the time. I was thinking about my lovely wife when she 
she knows it's rubbish day, and she'll say, my love, don't you feel like taking out the rubbish this morning? No, I don't feel like taking out the rubbish this morning. I know I have to do it. Or don't you feel like just hanging up the washing for me? Or don't you feel like, <laughs> we don't like to be told what to do. Your boss comes to you and says, well, you know, I want to hear you pitch the project. You're like, I've done this 50,000 times before. Do I really have to be micromanaged by you right now? Oh, kids and parents, I know I'm one. Dad, really? It's okay. I can cope. I can do this. We don't like authority. And the worst kind of authority we kick against is the God of heaven, whom we actually belong to. And you, know what, you want to know what sin is? Sin is a, a willfulness to have our own way. We want our own way. We want to do life our own way and do things our own way. And this is the problem is when that starts to happen, that's what we call sin, and sin begins to destroy things. And if you live this way, I'm telling you now, every human being can speak from experience about what I'm going to unpack. The first thing it destroys is relationships. When you've got two people saying, I want it my own way, I'm telling you, that's a cause for divorce right there. When you've got one kid saying to his dad or mom, I want it my way, and the father saying, I want it my way, it's going to be disaster. Some of us are moving from boyfriend to boyfriend, marriage to marriage, because we want it our own way. Secondly, sin promises so much to satisfy our appetites, but actually, when we give into it, it's never enough. How many of you have just got that promotion, but six months later, you're saying, I wish I had more money? How many of you this morning have sought out that relationship, sought out that pleasure, sought out that possession, sought out that reputation that you've been longing for, but in the end, it leaves you with broken finances, broken hearts, and broken bodies? How many of you this morning have been sold the lie that you can build security in your life around you, and so you work at that reputation, you work at that career, you get that RA, you get everything in place, but then ultimately what happens is this. After years of fitness, careful eating, cancer hits you. And you just don't feel as strong as you were before. Or you're an outstanding employee, and suddenly your boss comes into the office and says, here's your retrenchment package. And the house that you loved, the car that you owned, the clothes you were so proud of, the banks knocking on the door and saying, hey, buddy, it's time to pay up and we're going to take these things. And suddenly your world crumbles. We are not as strong as what we think we are. But sin sells us the lie that we are. And the last thing is, is this. Sin promises so much for this life but offers us nothing for the next I want to say the most important question for you this morning is, what is going to happen when you die? The fundamental premise of the gospel is you are not ready to live until you are ready to die. Are you ready to die? Because I want to tell you now, there's only going to be one thing that J.C. Ryle said, our people, Christians, die well. It is a confidence for the life and the next that shapes our confidence for the now. And sin will tell you, man, Go after this philosophy, this self-designed coping mechanism, these possessions, pleasures. Man, they only last for this life, but hey, you've got to pay for them in the next. And Scripture, I'm being very honest with you this morning because I'm leaning into what Jesus was like. He was straight. It leads to eternal destruction. That's the payment of sin. And so ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is a lost sheep is a perfect description of a lost human being. Friends, we are not lions. We are not tigers. We are sheep. And the sooner we realize that, the better, because the sooner you realize that, the sooner you realize you need a shepherd. That's the point. If you don't think you're a sheep, you don't need a shepherd. Jesus is saying you need a shepherd. And what a shepherd it is. Can I just for a moment unpack to you 
how incredible the rescue plan of God is for us as lost sheep. You see, this, this shepherd, man, he's not giving up anything until he can find that lost sheep. The thing that is driving him is he's got to find this precious possession. This, this lady sweeps the house. There weren't very, very many windows in ancient homes. So she has a candle and she is sweeping everywhere to find this lost coin. It shows the determin determination of heaven to get you. And for a moment, if you would just let me indulge you with how glorious the rescue plan was. It was this, whilst we were still dead in our sin, notice the sheep is lost. The coin is lost. They can do nothing. Oh man, they are so helpless. But the shepherd is working whilst the sheep's oblivious to it. The lady's sweeping while this, the coin's lying there on the ground. And whilst this is happening, things outside of them are being put in place for rescue. And it was this, the father in heaven said to his son, I want my sheep back. And so the son goes as the father's appointed shepherd. But you know what the rescue plan is? Is that the great shepherd of heaven becomes a sheep. And the announcement to the world of Jesus' public ministry is John the Baptist's phrase, Behold the Lamb that comes to take away the sin of the world. And it's a sheep destined for slaughtering. Death. For every Jewish mind, they knew that this lamb was the Passover lamb, the lamb that was going to pay for the sin of the world. And in that moment, you need to see the determination of Jesus. Every second of his life is spent, determined to fulfill the Father's will to get us back. And he does it in perfect obedience, not only in his life, but even unto death on a cross. That cross, my friend, was meant for you and me. It might not be a physical wooden cross, but our time of reckoning is coming. But instead of us having to face the cross unshielded without any options, he sends Christ. And the blood of the Lamb is spilled. That blood is the most precious blood that could ever be given. It was the Father's only Son. And that blood poured out. We drank the symbol of it this morning. Poured out for your sin and mine. But it requires a response. There is one word, only one. I love this about Jesus. Is he makes salvation so accessible. And it's one word, it says repent. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. That word, the Greek word metanoia, you've heard it before. It's not changing your life. I'm sorry, Mr. Pharisee. Jesus is saying, it flies in the face of everything they believe. They believe, change your life, then come to God. He'll accept you. Jesus says, you can't change anything except your mind. And I'm aware that there are lost sheep here today, and I want to tell you how to come back. And the first is this. You have to change your mind about three things. The first is who you are. Before God this morning, how confident are you in yourself? You see, what these Pharisees were, they were self-righteous. And Jesus explains self-righteousness being they were confident that they were righteous in themselves. What will you answer Jesus this morning if he called you into his presence? And say, why should I forgive your sin and let you into heaven? Are you going to say, well, I'm a good person? I attend church. I give to charities. I try and be an honest, upright citizen. 
a friend that is not going to get you anywhere. You have to see yourself the way God does because until you see yourself the way God does, you don't understand the kind of rescuing you need. It is total. It is substitutional. It means somebody has to die in your place so that you don't have to taste death because ultimately this is what it comes down to. Is you realize in your life Within yourself, there is no hope. Have you come to that place? Because until you do, salvation is a shut door to you. Because you have to change your mind once you realize about yourself. That need, when you see that you're a sinner, it drives you to a savior. You have to change your mind about who Jesus is. Not for your mom. Not for that ugly boss who needs forgiveness. For you. For you. And the danger is when somebody confronts you with Christ as you start to talk about other people. Oh, the Christians, they're all such hypocrites. Oh, the church, oh, it's such a waste of time. They just want your money. Oh, I knew one Christian one day and he stole my money. It doesn't matter about anybody else. I'm asking about you this morning. What do you say about Jesus? Because when you stand before God, the argument of that other person, that other, it means nothing. Because you're going to have to account for your own personal sin. And the way you do that is, that understanding of who you are, that need for rescue drives you to Jesus. That's the second thing you have to change your mind about. He's not just a Sunday school story. He's not just a nice figure in a church or that guy upstairs or the cleanser. Jesus Christ, he is the son of God. Taken on human flesh and crucified for you and me. He becomes your only hope. Has that happened to you this morning? If you understand me for God, what is your response? The right response is this. Christ is my only hope. Have you changed your mind about Jesus? And here again, spot on as she always is, quoted Romans chapter 10 verse 9. At least I think she did. That's what I thought of. It says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, He is the Son of God. He's not just some lunatic. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, you believe that he died for your sin. And not only did he die, he rose again. That, In other words, he is the sufficient payment. The fact that he rose again, the father was happy with it. Well, if you believe that, you will be saved. The third thing that we have to change our minds about today. And I want to challenge you. Maybe you've ticked those two boxes, but here's the third. Is you have to change your mind about what you're living for. You see, the sinful way of thinking is, I just live for myself. The response to our rescuer, Jesus Christ, is we live for him. That's what shepherding means, is you come under the rod and staff of the one who has oversight over you. And so today, for the Christian for the one who's not yet a Christian. What's on offer to you? Yes, Jesus makes some astounding demands upon our lives. He says, your possessions, your relationships, your lifestyle, I want to have oversight over that. But, this is the amazing part, is in giving that up, you get an incredible shepherd that's called good. 
And in salvation, God doesn't just kick us off into the pitch and say, score the try. He says, no, no. By becoming a child of God, a Christian, you will come under my rod and staff, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you through the famine and the feast. I'll be with you in your darkest moments when your performance makes you so depressed and say, God, I'm not worthy to be called a child. The rod and staff of Jesus will comfort you with grace. At your best moment, it will humble you and stop you thinking, well, this is me generating it. No, the good shepherd will come in whatever season of the soul, whatever time of season that comes upon our lives, we will gain this glorious leader who not only gave his life for us, but promises to keep each of our lives under his care. Not just for this life, but the next. He's good. He's worth having. So what's an offer to you? It's not a cheap fix. It's not a sense of, oh, I just get the tick box of forgiveness of sin. As we come back into God's original design as sheep, under the hand of a glorious shepherd, that we rest under, we hide under, we listen to, we enjoy. And there are times in our lives when we will experience what it means in this parable where Jesus carries us. He loves us, cares for us in our distress, never lets us go. So I want to say this morning, Christian, are you resting under the staff of your good shepherd? Or are you wrestling with it? It is the best place for you to be. He's a good shepherd. For those of you who feel like you've wandered far from God, this is your moment to come back. What does it require? Changed mind. Changed mind about the fact that you need Jesus. Changed mind about the fact that he really is the way, the truth, and the life. And changed mind about the fact that he calls you to live for him. Let's pray. Where are you with the Lord this morning? Which sheep are you in the parable? I want to take this moment. There are some here this morning who have never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not yet a Christian. This is your morning to do it. It's not a changed life first. No, no, that comes later. You need a changed mind and a changed heart. Will you do that this morning? Will you say to Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can see it for the first time maybe. I know, you know where I've been. I'm a sinner. I'm a lost sheep. 
and I'm needing a shepherd. I'm needing rescue. Jesus, would you say this to him? I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe you died on a cross for my sin and rose again. And Jesus, would you just forgive me? Would you wash me clean with your blood? I need you. Would you say that to Jesus this morning? I need you. I want you. And church, Lord, we say this morning, you have a right to our lives. You've bought us with your blood. It is the best place for the sheep to be with the shepherd. And so we want to say again as a church, we come humbly under your staff. You've proven yourself to us. You've laid down your life as our shepherd. We look to no other. We put our confidence in the shepherd chosen for us. Amen. Amen.